right, y'all. You're listening to In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile. I'm Spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. The band Two Pound Planet created a bit of a buzz back in the late 1980s and the early 90s, their first record being produced by the legendary Mitch Easter. But after their second release, the band went their separate ways, leaving their fans with a feeling of sad finality. That is until now. Two Pound Planet, with their old friend Randy Layton, is getting a Kickstarter project together to put out a vinyl pressing of the full Mitch Easter sessions, and a CD, both products containing previously unheard material. Joining me today to talk not only about this project, but the band's history, is Two Pound Planet's Jerry Chapman and the aforementioned Randy Layton, formerly of Alternative Records. How did Two Pound Planet form? Boy, it was a long time ago. So I'm, I'm going to do my best. I might get some of the years wrong. I think it was 83. It must have been 83. I graduated high school in 83. I met uh, Tom, the guitar player and one of the singers, at a local pool. I don't, you know, it's funny. I don't really, really remember exactly how we met. He probably had like a boom box. And we lived pretty close by and realized that we liked the same types of music and just wanted to be in a band. He was a year behind me in, in high school. Jerry Finley, the drummer, um, also lived within a couple miles of us. There were more people back then that wanted to be in bands. Now it seems like nobody you know, everybody wants to either be a solo artist or make, make musical computers, which is fine. But back then, yeah, there were a couple bands in school and it just looked like great fun to us. Um, so we did that and we had a we had a different singer at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, Frank, and I have no idea where he is right now. But um, we did that, and then we decided to keep writing songs. Tom was the first one to really start writing. We started doing those songs live, and I guess we played as a three-piece for a while. We really started as a cover band, and playing playing all the stuff that you know that's kind of kind of kitschy and campy now. It's you know, just known as 80s music or new wave, but we, you know we did it when it came out. We played the Romantics, we played the Clash, and just the, the songs of the day. And we kind of, I reckon we did some older stuff. We all loved the Beatles and uh, and the Kinks, so we did those sort of songs as well. But then we started writing, and then probably somewhere around '85, um, we met Jason Bust, his mutual friends, and added him on keyboards and guitar, and found out that he was a great writer as well. Um, so that's when we really got serious about about doing original music. It was sort of like a Beatles setup where you know they would they would let me and the drummer each have like a song every now and then. <laughs> but it was it was fairly collaborative. But Tom and, and Jason both would come in with really good songs and we'd hash through them. And then of course at that time we were called Urban Edge. Why the name change? I think that apparently we didn't like the name. Oh. And I don't, I don't remember who pushed for it. I'm sure we gave it a lot of thought because we had just released this album, Number One Urban Edge, and it had, you know, it, 
it made a little bit of noise, at least regionally, so it doesn't seem like a great marketing idea to change your, your band name right after you, <laughs> you release a, a record. Is there any significance to the name Two Pound Planet? Uh, we, we liked it a lot. We didn't notice the time we, we changed it. I think uh, I think Jason had suggested the name. There was actually another band in Winston that they were made up of, of friends, and I don't think they were together very long. They maybe did a couple shows, and we we were told they after that we were told that they had broken up. So I think we actually stole a band name. <laughs> I think by by any standard, I think it really is a, a much better name. So you mentioned growing up in the '80s and new wave and all that, and. But somehow, when you guys put your album out, it, it didn't, at least in my ears, it didn't sound necessarily like a new wave record, but it just sounds like it fits right in that 90s alternative pop uh, jangle right. type of thing. So how did that happen, or did it just happen? Well, you know, we were all, we were all and still are, just big fans of music. I think that, that everything everything that we did, um, and that I still do, it, it's sort of, you take your influences and... And somehow they, you, hopefully, you, you put enough of your mark on them that they come out sounding like yourselves. But of course, you know, back in that day, if you were from the South and you had a guitar in your band, you know, you probably sounded a little bit like REM. And maybe some of the stuff did. We did like that at first. And then we got in, you know, when, when Jason joined, started getting more into to synth stuff. Not, we were never quite new wave, but had some instant synth sounds. And, then we started getting into some of the, like you said, the, the alt pop thing, like the posies. Mm-hmm. Love jellyfish. Um, so we always, you know, we always wanted to have big harmonies, and uh, we, we were never quite as, you know, complicated or queen esque as jellyfish, but we sure did love them. So we just, we wanted to write really cool pop rock songs with, with lots of harmonies. How did Mitch Easter get involved with your first record? I think I think it was as simple as asking him. We knew that he. Now we sort of knew who we were. I think we had done a show or two with him. Maybe we used, um, there was a really great record shop called The Record Exchange, and, and, and uh, a couple of the guys that, that ran that, who were still fixtures in the scene here, who were a little older than us, maybe we sort of said, hey, could you pass this message on to Mitch? Or we might have just run into, I, you know, that's funny, I don't remember exactly how the sessions got planned, or who the... I certainly was not the point man on that. But boy, we sure didn't have fun. We had been in the studio before, but never for that long and you know, with somebody who really knew what they were doing. And again, as, as music fans, we working, you know, we were fans of all the stuff he worked on, we fans of his band. So just to be in there, it was like, like going to summer camp. You know, it was great for us. He made us sound good. He made us sound better than we were. Uh, he, had, he had great drum sounds and the guitars sounded, sounded big. Um, we were all fans. Tom, especially, was was a big fan of the Who, and well, still is. And you know, so that was sort of, you know, we were a, we were a pop band, but t- you know, Tom always kind of wanted to be a loud pop band, mm-hmm. and, and it was you know great, big drum sound, big guitar sounds. So now, Randy, how did you come across Two Pound Planet, you being the, the record uh, label guy? Right. So what happened was that, of course, I already had the label thing going. Jerry actually had written me for or had ordered a CD of a thing called More Miserable Than You'll Ever Be. So miserable. 
had just noted that on his return address on his envelope, this is back when people, you know, sent money through the mail and that kind of thing, that he was from Winston-Salem. And I knew that that's where Mitch Easter was. And at the time, I was a huge, well, still am, was a huge fan of uh, Mitch's band, Let's Active, but also of all the things he was producing, you know, like the first two R.E.M. albums, Gang Theory, you know, it's just a bunch of groups, and, you know, they all kind of came from that zone. So I just happened to write a little note saying, oh, Mitch Easter Country, something like that. And then he wrote back, like, well, in, in fact, you know, <laughs> yeah. this thing. Funny you should mention that. Yes. And so uh, I went, really, well, that's pretty interesting. At the time, we had just made a verbal deal with, with BMG for distribution, and I said, well, look, I have this deal going. And you can get mainstream distribution through me as, you know, as, as well as, you know, international. What do you think? And, and so it kind of, you know, turned into that. So then it was a band name change, redoing the artwork. I added or I asked to add some, uh, new, some different material to, uh, to add to the original lineup. Uh, we had it mastered, uh, wonderfully by a guy named Doug Doyle, who did a lot of the VA stuff and other, yeah. other projects. And, Jerry would go on to use him for a bunch of things, if I remember. Yeah, right. yeah. Of course, by the time that I actually had it pressed up and ready to go, and I had uh, and I had taken out a billboard ad, <laughs> also the BMG thing fell through because somebody made off with the, a ton of the, of the advance money that was supposed to be used for this distribution deal that involved being a couple different labels. So, so the powers that be killed all that, and so it was back to me just kind of chasing different distribution. So basically that album got out there as an alternative records piece, you know, very much independently, uh, you know, through, you know, smaller companies, uh, you know, that, that had d d distribution as well as overseas in, in, in Canada. So I got it out there, but it was very much like, you know, piecemealing that, that together, which was, you know, frustrating for me. I also, Send a bunch of copies to Radio Back South, so we got it back on the charts again, as well as I recall, uh, back there. But there was no way for me to really break it nationally in the way that I wanted to. However, I, I also spent a lot of time sending that around to other companies, you know, big companies going, look, you should really pick this up. And it just, you know, didn't happen. So I always felt like, and this happened to me for years, but I always felt like, you know, Damn it, this album is so good. And it should have been a big deal. I mean, it certainly sh should have been a big indie deal or should have been mentioned in the same, you know, breath as a lot of the things, you know, that Mitch had worked on and had a lot of exposures on, on the college charts and, and whatnot. And, you know, they got some of that, but not to the extent that I think that they had deserved. You know, there was an, an, an EP thing that they put together that I helped out with, but then, you know, it just started, you know, dying down uh, between the label and the band. What were some of the highlights, uh, I guess, of the lifespan of the band for you? I mean, did you guys have any, like, wonderful moments or was it all struggle or it was a lot of struggle but maybe, maybe we were lucky enough to not really to know it um and not let it bother us too much you know it was a time when 
you know, gas was super cheap. So you could get in a van and, and go tour and, you know, afford to sort of live. And Winston-Salem, the cost of living was not good. The highlights, you know, were just the, the music. Being, you know, going to Mitch's studio and doing like a proper record. We had some really good good shows. We had had some uh, some popularity and you know regionally. We were never huge, but we could we could do shows and people would show up. You opened for an awful lot of really good bands. That's true. And and what it really came down to, I mean, we like I've said a couple times, we were music fans. So occasionally we get to play with bands that we like. You know, and we're like, oh my gosh, we're share a stage with this group, and you know, and and just to be on a stage anywhere and tour. I wouldn't. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I would. I don't know that I would go back. It was tough sometimes when you know you run out of money in the middle of the Midwest and figure out how you're going to get back. And as with any band, you know, we did start to wear on each other a little bit. We were had been together for, I guess, the four of us had been together for six or seven years, eight years. So you know, you start to get on each other's nerves, and I think we, I think we broke up at the right time. I guess you're a 77s fan since you that's how you met Randy I am yeah I'm just curious like how did you discover them um I grew I always grew up in church and sort of I mean I loved rock and roll of any ilk but I you know the Christian scene back then was, was pretty interesting to me I really loved Sevens the choir Daniel Amos I just thought you know musically they were they were great Lyr- I mean lyrically I was drawn to them but musically they were great as well not, not everybody in the band was a believer and was you know, if we had really gotten into that scene as a band, it would have been not great. It would have been deceptive in some way and mm-hmm. um, opportunistic. So from my point of view is that I had never started the label as, as a, you know, as a quote, you know, TCM label. That wasn't the idea. It started with a couple of bands or artists in that zone because I had worked with those guys during, you know, the exit uh, island period. Oh, yeah. So when that deal combusted, and Exit actually uh, blew up as well, um, I just kind of put it out there like, well, you know, I'd be happy to do something with you guys. And then, you know, I'm, I'm interested in kind of building this thing. So they were the initial people on the, on the, on the label. By the time I got around to doing Two Pound Planet and the Robert Bond, The Shadows, uh, Riverhouse album, I knew I was going in a different direction and that I, I wanted to do records that that could appeal to anybody listening. So if you were a person of faith, there was elements there, but it, it could also just get you know heard on, on mainstream radio and you know those, those kind of things. Planet to me was that first step and kind of like, this is, this is where I'm at anyway. So I never wanted the band to get pigeonholed in, in that scene. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that happened to some extent because of the other things that I, I had done, which is why, I, you know, I was trying to get my distribution through, you know, B&G and those kind of things so I could kind of, you know, break out of that more. By the time, by the time Robert handed in Riverhouse, I definitely knew I wasn't going <laughs> in the direction I'd been because there's nothing on that album that would have been like anything I'd done, I'd done previously. Uh, and then after that, the groups I worked with were definitely not you know, CCM type type bands, uh, and they tended to be more here uh, locally. So I mean, if you listen to, to Jukebox, there are definitely songs on there that have spiritual, you know, uh, elements to the lyrics. 
but it's not something that would be an explicitly Christian album because the whole band wasn't wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. And I saw myself as, as as trying to you know be true to my own self, which was somebody that was a Christian and and certainly had that worldview and listened to the same bands that Jerry just mentioned, like DA or the Choir. But I was just as into so many other things musically. To me, it was all it was all good, you know. And, and I wanted to be able to kind of represent that that, that spectrum, okay. which is why it was called alternative as opposed to some other name. You know, the idea right. was, you know, it was supposed to be looked look, looked at it that way. So over the years, I always kind of felt a bit guilty about that. But Tom's been very good about going, look, we really appreciate what you did. You, you put us in, in a lot of places that we never would have gotten into and got us more exposure and all that. You know, it's 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 okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I, I don't want kind of like walk around with this guilt. You know? So hopefully uh, with this with this new uh, launch of, of the album, uh, we get a chance to go back to those this pair at camps and get people excited and uh, that that is kind of the uniqueness we're, we're gonna have people that are in that seventh kind of camp that are all over this but we're also gonna have a lot of people that you know from the power pop niche user zone that are going to be into it as well and, and they come at it from that perspective and so that makes it pretty unique Let's talk about the project. Are you guys doing a Kickstarter type of thing? or? Yeah. So what are people going to get for their money? I mean, I've, I've kind of come up with, with sort of the, the concept of, of what I would like it to be. And then I kind of have let Tom Shaw sort of run out by the other band members so that everybody kind of gets on board with, you know, or voices, concerns, or what have you. The idea is is to ex- expand the concept as, you know, two pound client at the mid-Easter sessions twofold and in, in that it, it takes everything kind of done under that umbrella it puts it in one place on, 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 on vinyl which will be a, a two record set it also does kind of tag the guy that people a lot of people are, are going to hear that name and go oh yeah you know mitch you know i mean i bought a lot of records because mitch's name was on it not necessarily knowing what the album was like you know but, but because i really trusted him as a as a producer right um, so I, I think people discovered, you know, the band that way to some extent as well. And so it's kind of going back and, 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 and really kind of giving a tip of the hat to, to Mitch's involvement. And, and frankly, I'll also, you know, hoping that brings some people to the fold and maybe hadn't heard it yet. On top of that, there's going to be a CD of, of primarily unreleased material that covers the band's you know, lifetime, including the previously un- unheard sessions uh, from Mitch. So it's not just reissuing on CD the old thing. I I, I think most people have the old thing uh, that are fans. So it's primarily CD-wise going to be things that, that people haven't heard, at least on CD. One of the things about the band, when I heard the Urban Edge Project, was I just went, wow, you know, these guys are really young and because I'm, I'm a bit older. <laughs> and uh, because they're really young and they seem, you know, fully formed out of the womb, you know, I hadn't realized that they, they had recorded demos for years prior to this and had really honed their their songwriting skills and their 
arrangements and their and all those things and played live a lot so by the time they did that record they had a lot of experience so there's a lot of really great material that people haven't heard that didn't make that album because it was already old you know i mean in fact even for jukebox some of the songs go back quite a ways so to me that's that's gonna be a lot of fun to actually expose people to do some of that another thing the uh a download of, of the vinyl mastering and potentially there's going to be uh, a scrapbook sort of thing with a bunch of photos and stories behind the songs and yeah, we've, we've been going through I, I need to get back in the garage but um, Jason Jason's got a ton of pictures and flyers we've been sending stuff to each other and there's pictures that I've just you know, totally forgotten about set list right. letters crazy so that and that and I believe we're we're going to do a shirt and I I think that's pretty much it you know uh, as much as I would love to do a Mattel kind of replica of a two pound planet band uh, <laughs> that would be amazing <laughs> that, that ain't going to happen I think that should be the core of it. Have you had any contact with Mitch about this reissue? No, and I'm but I'm I am the point man on that, so I'm going to be uh, messaging him today or tomorrow and. Uh, let them know it's happening. Try to get, you know, let them know we love a quote, even if it's, these guys still owe me money or whatever. <laughs> I play hopscotch in odds. I motor to the stars. And all of this because I want to turn, turn, turn. So, Jerry, uh, your musical career didn't stop with the end of Two Pound Planet. Uh, what else did you do after that? It didn't. It hadn't yet. I haven't figured out anything else that I can do other than music. When that broke up, I had already been playing a little bit in uh, in a band called Life in General, and it was an acoustic duo. We'd been playing, just going on weekends and doing covers. And but from ninety ninety four is when we really started um, trying to tour, and and uh, we did a record in it was ninety four. In fact, the and the two pound planet guys sang harmony on, on one of the songs, and you know I was learning how to. Like I said, I'd been a bass player. I knew how to play guitar, but um, I had not written any songs. I'd certainly not been a lead vocalist, you know, aside from loving being in Two Pine Planet, it was also sort of my, my boot camp was how to do music. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did this this record, me and my friend did this, this Life in General record. And we're doing weekend shows and then start doing the college scene. And from 95 to 2001, we played all over. We played um, almost every state. We were on the road usually at least 200 dates a year and ended up releasing seven CDs, I think. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we decided that we probably should not spend as much time together. We want to remain friends. And I, <laughs> I was just getting ready to have kids. But since then, I've, I've done a series of, of solo albums and, and constantly writing. In fact, uh, Randy, I don't know if you knew this. Um, you, you certainly remember Poor Old Blue. Their their drummer, Jesse, has remained a friend of mine since we we played with him like in 95 out in Seattle and just remained friends. And he's um, the record I'm working on right now. Um, he did the drum tracks for it. So it's funny how you know, that whole scene just sort of comes back around. They'll be dancing in town tonight. We'll be thinking about what we're missing. Do you still get letters or emails every once in a while or people talking to you about Two Pound Planet? I, you know, not a lot, but I run, you know, it's interesting, I run, run across people in town that remember the band or they're like, 
oh my gosh, were you the guy in Cheetown Planet? That's uh-huh. kind of usually how it is. Uh-huh. It's funny, usually when people, when people meet me and they say, oh, I loved your, your old band, I usually think they're talking about life in general, but it's funny sometimes, you know, they're like, they remember me from way back then. It was so long ago. It's obviously very flattering and cool to, to meet people that were, that were in that scene back in the day. If you'd like to get in on this Kickstarter project, you can follow the band's Facebook page, which is currently keeping folks updated on the progress made thus far. Or if you'd like to get caught up on Jerry Chapman's music since then, he also has a Facebook page. And if you are a fan of alternative records, Randy Layton is also up on the Book of Face, occasionally sharing rare photos and unreleased recordings from those years. And speaking of Randy, he was back on... In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile, episode 203, telling us about his adventures with the 77s, Steve Scott, Two Pound Planet, and many others. And funny you should mention Steve Scott, because he too was a recent guest on episodes 226 and 227, talking about everything from his own music, to the philosophy of faith and art, to the Gospel of John, to a subway ride in Beijing. In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile is produced by A Closet, A Pocket, and A Suitcase. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or podbean.com. If you'd like to send us some hate mail, you can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. See ya, and I wouldn't want to be ya. (laughs) 